Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 546 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name. He, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E. Text the word wine to 511-511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three bottle order. So text wine to 511-511. Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. It is Wednesday, so Congressman Mark Pocan is on the line with us. He is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the state of Wisconsin and the U.S. House of Representatives, along with a few colleagues. Uh, I believe it's the second district. And uh, he, his website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. I have been um, speculating openly on the radio all this week, basically since Helsinki. That was a real tipping point for me. Um, prior to Trump's just groveling with Putin and sitting there with his hands in a prayer uh, mode, you know, holding his hands as if he were praying while Putin is sitting there like he's, you know, Merv Griffin uh, or something, a talk show host, um, I, I, I 
prior to this this week, my thoughts on Trump and Russia were largely financial. That is to say, you know, there's there's this long train of evidence of Russian mobsters and Russian oligarchs laundering their money through Trump hotels, uh, you know, or the allegations of that, and that frankly, without all this Russian money, which Eric Trump told told a reporter about in 2014. Without all this Russian money, Donald Trump would be living in a cardboard box on Skid Row, and his daughter and sons would have to get real jobs, and and his wife would probably leave him. And I think that that's what you know. I've always thought that's what he's afraid of, and I think the, still think that's the most likely prospect. But there are people now who are publishing incredible journalists, and in, in like you know, in, you know, in the Atlantic, um, publishing pieces suggesting that Trump has had a connection to Russia going back even to the 80s, and that somehow he's either useful idiot or actual agent. I mean, this is a this is a striking conversation for us to be having, and I think the actual agent part may even have a small percentage of possibility, you know, like 10% or something. I'm curious your thoughts on all this. I mean, the one thing we know, Tom, about Donald Trump is his number one priority uh, for this country is Donald Trump uh, and his family. And, you know, everything he has done uh, has been to expand his business enterprise to make more money for him and his family. And I think, you know, the, the vast, the vastly... I think the strongest prospect for this probably is still that this is all about Donald Trump making money for himself and his family, and that's why he does what he does. Although I got to admit, I was stunned on Monday. I really didn't know how to respond at first when I saw that because I was like, this is even over the top for someone who's often over the top. And it certainly just adds to either he is truly ignorant uh, or he is truly being deceitful. Either way, that doesn't make me comfortable when he's the president and he's acting like yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, Trump and his presidency, um, he has uh, basically said we are not going to, we as a nation are not going to pay attention to our own laws with regard to asylum seekers, which say that if somebody shows up at our borders or in one of our embassies and says, you know, I'm under serious and legitimate threat um, and I'm willing to basically go to court, you're an American court, to demonstrate that. Uh, you're supposed to let them into the country and give them a court date. And oh, well over 90% of the time, they show up for that court date. And sometimes they end up being deported. And sometimes they end up being granted temporary status as a refugee. Um, that's both international treaty and federal law. And he's ignoring both. And now uh, the federal courts have pushed back and said, uh, A, you have to reunify these families. And now you've got a new court ruling about, B, you've got to stop these deportations. This is illegal under U.S. and, and international law. Um, your thoughts and Congress's thoughts on that, Congressman Pocan? Yeah, you know, everything about this uh, is, is no way to sugarcoat it. It's about racism, right? It's appealing to the racist part of his base that loves to talk about the wall. Donald Trump actually doesn't benefit from having a wall. In fact, when Chuck Schumer offered him money for a wall, he wouldn't take yes for an answer because he just wants to go to rallies and talk about the wall and motivate that racist element of his base. But in doing so, he's done things like zero tolerance, which really are zero humanity, which have separated children from families, put uh, children in cages. And uh, while he's now stopped separating children and families, we still have 3,000 children we need to reunite with their parents. In some cases, they've completely lost the ability to do that. There's a court-mandated deadline. It was already for children under five. They've missed that for many of them. But in eight days from today, every single child is supposed to be reunified. And Congress is too afraid to take this on because there are many in the Republican Party who agree with the policy of separating children from their parents and caging children. So um, this is really truly disgraceful. Uh, it's a, a very much a black eye on this country. And uh, I think, you know, we need to be far more vocal. In fact, today we're going to be on the floor talking about this because uh, it is truly uh, an un-American practice to do what's happening. And yet Donald Trump is doing it, and the Republican Congress has been completely complicit. Yeah. 
Our, our lines are lit up with calls from all over the country for you, Congressman. So let's just let's just jump right into it here. Rich in Calumet, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Hey, Congressman. Uh, the first thing I'd like to say is uh, the posturing that Mr. Trump was showing uh, with holding his hands together. I took a class uh, on, on body language. He's trying to present himself as a, uh, a businessman with pushing himself forward, although his facial expressions show that he is basically over his head. Um, the so, other so your question, Rich, part is, for the congressman? Yeah, the question is, I believe we're in a world crisis from uh, corporations. Is there anything that we can do besides massively getting out and voting and what some people have been doing and protesting and stuff like that? Yeah, and, and Congressman also, in addition to that, is Congress contemplating doing anything about what Dan Coates says is a flashing red light of insecurity in our voting systems? Yeah, so uh, to both those issues, um, let me take the second one first. You know, uh, as you know from this program, I have several bills out there to address election systems. Even last night, Tucker Carlson, I was on his show, and he even said we should have paper ballots for machines. Why can't we move something as simple uh, as some solutions around that front? And yet Congress, uh, I don't think, is really uh, interested in having fair elections. Otherwise, we wouldn't be allowing states to have voter ID laws and other things that suppress our citizenry from actually uh, participating. But, you know, um, Rich, your, your point is very valid. However, I... I I don't see this Congress, Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell, uh, growing a spine uh, in the next few weeks, uh, even though they know their, their backs are against the wall uh, because of November. Uh, elections have consequences. We're paying for the consequences of two years ago, November. We have the opportunity coming up in November. But if you don't like what people in Congress are doing, you have to change their faces. And, uh, and that's true for state legislatures, governors, and all the rest. So we have a lot of work to do. It's great that we have these protests to bring people together. Uh, so that they can uh, see that there is strength in numbers. But bottom line, um, elections have consequences, and we have to look at that way at November. Dave in Pittsburgh, California. Dave, you're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Yeah, I, I have a question to ask uh, to, uh, Mark Pocan. Uh, there's a petition going around on the uh, House floor to uh, uh, bring uh, uh, Ali Pai, uh, uh Net neutrality uh, and force uh, 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 Speaker Ryan to uh, uh, pa uh, bring that uh, to the floor at a vote to force uh, uh, net neutrality to be reinstated. And I was wondering if he, uh, if he's, if they're ready to uh, force the Speaker to uh, bring that to the floor at a vote. And I'll take your question answer offline. Thank you. Sure. Uh, well, thanks, Dave. Um, I mean, absolutely, there is uh, something on the floor that if we get 218 people to sign uh, a discharge petition, we could force this, uh, this matter like the Senate did. They got it done in the Senate, so we're the only holdup. And I, I believe virtually every single Democrat, if not every single Democrat, but I know the vast, vast, vast majority of Democrats already signed that. Our problem is getting Republicans to because to get to 218, uh, I think we're at 193. That's the number of Republicans we have to bring on board. It's going to be a challenge. <laughs> but, but, hey, we got one Republican yesterday, right? Let's just keep working. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. It's Middays with Mark on the Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Pocan taking your calls. And we'll be back with more of your calls for him. His website is pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep, R-E-P, as in representative, rep Mark Pocan. Stick around. And welcome back. Anita watching Free Speech TV in San Antonio, Texas. You are on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. 
Hi, Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. Hi. Yeah, I think I think Donald. I do think they have compromise on Donald Trump. He has been totally freaked out about that dossier. He remember in James Comey's book, he talked about how Donald Trump would call him and, and uh, uh, insist that it wasn't true. He was constantly talking about that dossier, and in particular about the Russian prostitute thing. And I don't really care what it's about anyway. If our if they're attacking our sovereignty, what else is more important? And why aren't we talking about? These bots that are out there that are spreading propaganda, we need to educate people. They targeted Bernie Sanders voters last time. We need to get be out there educating people about these bots. Well, and they, and they, and they targeted Republicans, too, last time, and independents. Well, no, but they targeted, they, they targeted Bernie Sanders voters on purpose to suppress the vote. Oh, and, I, and, and by the way, they were targeting uh, Hillary Clinton voters, too, to suppress the vote, to discourage them. It doesn't say that in any of the... Uh, the, the all you, all you have to do is go back and look at the ads. They've, they've published the ads. Well, but, I know, but, but the indictments, let's, let's, investigation. So your question for the that. congressman. My question what? is just what are we doing to educate Democrats, right. people who would vote Democrats? Because remember, they broke in and got 500,000 um, uh, uh, voters off of a, a Democratic list. That was, those were Democratic voters. Those were people who, would, uh, who were like um, in uh, swing states. We don't know what state exactly, but I'm pretty sure it must have been a swing state with 500,000 voter inform, uh, voters' information on there. They were targeting people. They can target individual voters. Do you think, do you think uh, Congressman, that it's even possible that that, those, that half million voters uh, ended up on Chris Kobach's list and ended up getting bounced off voter registration rolls in Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, and Pennsylvania? Or am I total tinfoil hat here? Thank you, Anita. Well, well I mean, clearly, you know, they've hacked into companies that make voting machines. They tried to hack into government um, entities that run elections. I mean, th th there is a clear intent what was going on there. And, you know, Nita, to your question, we've been talking about this for quite a while. I think the single uh, best bit of uh, putting this forward right now is the fact that Mueller has indicted 12 people over this. So it is now officially, we said, that we know who did this. I mean, there, it's unequivocal to everyone but Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump, depending on the day you ask him. Um, but everyone else gets it. And, and you're right, it is a real threat. There's a culture of corruption right now in Washington. Uh, you know, they talked about draining the swamp very effectively, but what he didn't tell you is he just drained it a little bit so he could dredge it bigger and build a high-rise luxury condo on it. Um, they've <clears throat> taken it to a new level. We need to make that a central part of what we talk about this November. That's a, a, we, we have 40 seconds to the break, Congressman. That's a fascinating statement because um, just as, as, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, uh, your colleagues in the Democratic Party and, uh, and the Progressive, Progressive Caucus were saying, you know, we need to talk to Americans about bread and butter issues. The Republicans are screwing them on taxes. The Republicans are talking about doing away with Social Security and Medicare. The Republicans are, are working, you know, with big business to destroy unions and keep down wages. Uh, so, but now you think that th th this has reached a, such a crisis that it's become an electoral issue. The big three issues I think you're going to see us talking about this year is the culture of corruption around here because everyone talks about it. Uh, Health care, prescription drug prices, and uh, need to invest in infrastructure to create those good family supporting jobs. Yeah, okay, good stuff. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. It's Middays with Mark on the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back with more of your calls in just a moment. It's coming up on 20 minutes past the hour. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. It's uh, Congressman Mark Pocan on the line. It's Middays with Mark on the Tom Hartman Program. And uh, Heather in Seattle listening on KBCS. You are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Taking my call, I'm going back to the 2016 election just for a moment. And when Obama did not declare war against Russia for declaring war on us, 
in a sense of getting into our election. That was an act of war. And the Democrats did not declare that or did not respond to that as an act of war should have been responded to. So I'm wondering why still the Democrats are not focusing on this, that we are at war and that this president is aiding and abiding the enemy. We know that. But I'm really concerned about the lack of democratic response yeah, in Heather, such so, a forceful way of a declaration of war. Sure. I, you know, I, I don't think um, when you use uh, a declaration of war, it should be for very, very uh, serious um, in very serious ways. I'm not saying it's not serious what they did, but an unprecedented attack on our elections. But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of other reasons why that may not be the best terminology for us to use. I do think at the time a lot of this was evolving, finding out what exactly they're doing, and now it's a lot easier to look back and put it all together and see the Russian involvement, why we know um, what they've done. And that's why we're trying to take it very seriously now, which is why we, many of us didn't want them to get together this week. We wanted him to ask for the extradition of the 12 people. Uh, and we are trying to talk about it in strong terms as possible. But um, I personally, as someone who considers myself uh, trying to focus on peace before war, I, I just don't know if that's the best terminology, although I certainly appreciate uh, and understand the sentiment you're expressing. Tony in Stafford, Virginia, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my question is, if the Democrats take back the House in in November and in January, whoever becomes Speaker, will they ever hold hearings to what's going on in Congress now in the House of Representatives? Like, uh, you know, like how they, they're lapdogs to the president instead of an equal body. Hmm. And, then, and not really giving a true investigation of what's going on. Yeah, Tony, uh, great question. And, you know, I think uh, there will be plenty of uh, hearings to hold people accountable where they should be. It's been um, truly pathetic watching the House Republicans, especially Devin Nunez over in the Intelligence Committee, uh, just completely give up our co-equal branch of government status and let the White House get away with anything without even questioning it. You know, the good news, and Tom, I think this is something I don't know if I brought before on the show, but, you know, we have a dozen progressive caucus members that are ranking members on committees that will be chairs of committees should we take the majority and 30 Whoa. that are ranking on subcommittees. Subcommittees are also very, very active. So Whoa. the progressive movement is well-poised should we take the majority, and I can assure you some of the folks that have been very outspoken on this, from Maxine Waters to Jerry Nadler uh, and everyone else in between, are, are progressive caucus members. So uh, we'll make sure that folks are held accountable. Yeah, remarkable. Uh, let's see here. Dave, in Springfield, Missouri, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. You know, Putin had some good reasons to not like Clinton, and that would be Libya, Syria, what her people ended up in Ukraine and Egypt. So, so he had some, some legitimate things. But the big thing that we're dealing with right now is Kobach's scam, which stole millions of votes. Mueller's got to run into that, and is he going to hold Kobach responsible legally for any of this? Yeah, David, first I want to just push back a little bit on your first statement. I, I don't care if, if, if Vladimir Putin has reasons not to like Hillary Clinton. That doesn't give you any excuse to have an unprecedented attack on the election. So I still think it's very valid that we're pushing on that issue. I also completely agree with you that uh, as a separate issue, which we can walk and chew gum at the same time, we can point out uh, what they're doing to try to suppress the vote from everything from voting list purges to photo ID laws and a whole lot of other things. 
And we do have a list of reforms that I've seen the House Democrats have put forward uh, that are part of our uh, strategy as we talk about November that the culture of corruption here in Washington uh, has to stop, and many of these things around voting rights are central to that. So I think you're going to talk about both, but I'm not going to give Vladimir Putin a pass for uh, an unprecedented attack on our elections. There's, there's absolutely no excuse, and there has to be accountability. Tom in Miami. Tom, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Uh, hi, Tom. Hi, Congressman. Uh, I know you're in the, in the Congress, not in the Senate, but I had a Senate question. Um, McConnell stole a Senate, uh, stole a judge, stopped the uh, probe from being publicized. Now he's saying if uh, they do it again, ooh, we're going to do something. Uh, cannot Schumer call for maybe a, a vote of no confidence? Maybe there's a few sen uh, senators on the Republican side would like to... Uh, become the majority leader? Is there anything he can do there? Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, for all the uh, occasional positive statements from Susan Collins or uh, Lisa Murkowski or something like that, I, I think it would be a non-starter for them to go against their leadership. So while you would hope that they would have the integrity to maybe be willing to do some of that, I, I think it's a very difficult uh, ask. Steve in Minneapolis, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, Mark, did your governor, Scott Walker, Except emoluments from the redheaded uh, NRA infiltrator. Yes, Steve. So uh, Steve's bringing up an issue that uh, this, the, the NRA operative, uh, the Russian agent. Uh, there's a picture of Governor Scott Walker and her uh, together at some meeting that they had, uh, which again is just part of this, you know, um, additional conversation about Russian influence that's going now down to even the governors and other Republican elected officials. You know, my argument, if I, if I if I was people pushing back on this, I would be saying uh, anyone who took NRA money should give it back, um, because if the NRA has had an infiltrator, we don't know how much of that money came from Russian sources and others. Until we have a thorough accounting and audit of what's there, I have to consider that money tainted, and I think that should be something that uh, people should be pushing, not just in Wisconsin, but nationally. Holly in Marshall, Missouri. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much. I have a question about poll numbers and who is polled. I've uh, heard uh, on Three uh, Zakaria that Trump has a 61 approval rating, and I thought, well, he doesn't say that the, uh, the GOP is 26 percent of the electorate, so that's only 14 percent approval rating. And the other thing, this morning in the same vein, I heard that there was a, a, a drop in interest in the Mueller investigation where I, every day, see dozens of stories pertaining to the Mueller investigation. So I'd just like your, uh, your opinion on that. Thank you. I got the first part. I don't know if I got the second part. On the polling, um, just so you know, there's a lot of different pollsters, and it depends on what sample they use and everything else. I often look at when there's an amalgamation of a number of polls, and you look at the evening out, you probably get some of the better results. Donald Trump is not at 51% uh, support, uh, even though an individual poll uh, may have said that. And the second part, I, I, I'm sorry I missed Heidi, the question. I think our second part was that uh, it's also being reported that uh, across the United States, across all American voters, um, although I think Republicans are leading the charge, the uh, support for the Mueller investigation is declining in the polls, or at least it was as of a couple days ago. Yeah, although I think, again, I'm guessing after Monday a lot has changed once again. Yeah. Um, you know, John McCain, when John McCain writes a statement that's stronger than I would write, I think we're, we're on to something on this. There you go. Um, John, John in Edgewood, New Mexico, listening to iHeartRadio, you're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Congressman, uh, Congressman Pocan, um, 
in the Albuquerque Journal, there was a, 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 a highlighting Michelle Lujan uh, Grisham on her gubernatorial run. And uh, she said several things that really disturbed me, but one that really set me off. She, uh, it, it says in the article, speaking about those in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party who are openly hostile to the oil and gas industry, Lujan Grisham says they've lost their minds. Uh, uh, two things bother me here. First is um, global warming, first. Uh, but second, uh, just that she would use that language. And then later on in the article, even make comments uh, about uh, Maxine Waters. Were you aware of this? And um, how can I continue to support um, uh, her for governor? Yeah, so I, I haven't seen the comments, and I also haven't seen the context, like what the question was. Sometimes, um, trust me, it's happened to me. Uh, I read an answer in the paper to something I said, and it's completely not what I said. So I think what I would recommend to you, um, John, is you know, next time you get a chance to go to a forum uh, or an event, ask her directly, and that's the best way to get to the answer. Yeah, if she's, if she's doing a good job of running, she should be out there meeting with the public. Exactly. So, yeah, uh, or, or presumably you could call her office. Um, although I don't know the candidate, maybe not. Congressman, uh, Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls for the hour. It's Middays with Mark. 45 minutes past the hour here on the Tom Hartman program. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan in just a moment. You can tweet him at RepMarkPocan, his website at Pocan.House.gov. Hey, do you brush with an electric toothbrush or have you wanted to? If you're using one of the one of the older, bigger, bulkier, you know, and some of them you know, are so aggressive they can even damage your mouth, uh, tooth, electric toothbrushes, uh, or if you've never th used an electric toothbrush, I want you to pay attention. There's a new electric toothbrush. Time Magazine called it the invention of the year, right? Uh, it's called Quip, Q-U-I-P. It's slim, it's lightweight, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush. It's got a, you know, a little AAA battery inside that powers it and powers it for months at a time uh, be between changes. And it, it does a really great job. It aggressively cleans your teeth, but it does so in a way that's good for your gums and good for your teeth. It's a, the perfect two-minute clean. So check this thing out. And it's great for traveling. It comes with a little tube that you can drop it in to travel because, like I said, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush, much, much smaller than your, than your big electric toothbrushes. And you can find out all about it at getquip.com slash Tom. That's G-E-T, getquip, Q-U-I-P, dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom for more information. It's only 25 bucks, and they send you the refills, the, the brush heads that you're supposed to replace every three months. Every three months, they'll send those to you for only $5 free shipping. It's an amazing deal. Getquip.com slash Tom. And welcome back. And let's see here. Avanish or Avinish, uh, watching us on YouTube in Haventown, Pennsylvania. Please correct my your name if I've mangled it. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. Hi, Congressman. Yep, that's that's correct. Uh, um, I, I want to ask about a new voting rights act. You know, given that the right wing Supreme Court seems to be undermining democracy, um, do you think if the if the Democratic Party takes control of the House, we could have congressional hearings about the voter suppression, gerrymandering, caging, faulty voting machines, on top of the Russian hacking, and maybe down the line we could have a new voting rights act, or even maybe a constitutional amendment that guarantees a citizen's fundamental right to vote. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Venish, um, thank you for your question. So uh, 
Keith Ellison and I are the lead authors on a bill to actually have a constitutional amendment to guarantee a right to vote. Constitutional amendments are not easy, but uh, it helps to let people understand that there's not an explicit right to vote in the Constitution, uh, as pointed out for, uh, through uh, Bush v. Gore and why we need to do that. The good news is we had a press conference probably four to six weeks ago on the steps of the Capitol uh, talking about the reforms that we would put out there from gerrymandering to uh, ethics and campaign reform uh, to voting rights law, and that is central to what we're looking at. Unless we have a vibrant democracy and a democracy that works for everyone without the corruption that we currently have, uh, we don't have a democracy, and that is central. So I'm very excited that that will be uh, some of the first things that we take on when we take the majority. Dave in Seattle, is on KBCS, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, thank you both very much for your service. I think that we can all agree that uh, maintaining the impartiality of the Supreme Court is crucial for the next 40 years or so. And uh, just in in the hearings that will be upcoming for Brett Kavanaugh, I think it's very important and crucial to mention that in his acceptance speech for that nomination, that he said during his years teaching uh, as a professor at Harvard, he taught his students that separation of power is very important for maintaining liberty in our country. And the only reason that he's now receiving this nomination is because the legislative branch led by Mitch McConnell refused to do their job and disabled the executive branch. Right. So uh, we're, we're, we're hitting a break doing, here, Dave. What's your question for the congressman? Um, Mitch McConnell did the antithesis of the separation of powers, and can that be brought up during the hearings for... Uh, okay. Congressman? Yeah, yeah I, I think it will, because clearly the Merrick Garland uh, issue is still something very um, important in the discussion as we're moving forward in the Supreme Court. I think also, especially given this week, uh, his, uh, Kavanaugh's comments about you shouldn't go after a president while they're in office, uh, all the more relevant as they're having their uh, deliberation. Yeah, Chuck Schumer sent out something on that this morning where they were, uh, yeah, here it is. Uh, Judge Brent Kavanaugh two years ago expressed his desire to overturn the constitutionality of an independent council. So uh, he wants to overturn yeah. Morrison v. Olson, which is pretty shocking stuff. Yeah, and that, that better be central. Yeah, amen. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. We'll be right back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan in just a moment. Welcome back. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. And Denise in Chicago. Hey, Denise, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, thank you so much, Tom, for the opportunity, and what an honor, Congressman Spokane, to be able to, to, to chat with you, and I'll take my answer offline. But I just wanted to point out one area that I haven't seen, uh, and maybe there is, but I, I have not seen a Democratic response to the ban and uh, propaganda that aligns with uh, Trump uh, agenda, and, and it aligns with uh, much of what I've been hearing of the world reorganization of power and the realignment of power. And I just see that this is so corrupt and, and so so awful that it is just deteriorating people's minds. And I just um, want to know if you know if the Democratic Party is going to address that and be a little bit more forceful on it. And thank you again for the opportunity to ask this question. And, and if I can add to Denise's question, Steve Bannon has been in Europe uh, speaking to uh, members yes. of hard right parties, fascist parties, uh, and and their sympathizers, and and cranking up this stuff. And, and we're seeing this. I mean. In, in Europe, it, uh, you've got Hungary and you've got Turkey that have both flipped right in a hard right, and Poland's in the middle of it. Congressman, your thoughts? 
Yeah, I, you know, I think part of it with Steve Bannon uh, no longer in the White House, the tension on him has been uh, somewhat diminished by the media, yet he's still up to being Steve Bannon. And I think, um, you know, his influence with uh, Donald Trump, you know, I used to think it was because he was around him he influenced him. I actually think Donald Trump believes this stuff as well. Um, I think every racist uh, element that came out of Steve Bannon comes out of Donald Trump every single day. And I think uh, they are in many ways the same person. So we've tried to call out, you know, where we can um, what he's doing. And, you know, let's face it, he's uh, picking fights with Canada, uh, Germany, our, our traditional allies, uh, trying to buddy up Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin. And even Kim Jong-un is making a fool out of the president right now by not actually uh, living up to what supposedly they agreed on. And then one of the lines that Trump had from his meeting with Putin is, oh, see, Putin's going to help us with Kim Jong-un. I just think he's out of his league. Uh, it's all about him trying to find ways to make more money for Donald Trump. Even in North Korea, when he was showing him videos of what they could be, that was almost like a pitch for the Trump uh, families uh, to be able to, to you know, do real estate. This guy is, is a, a disaster on multiple fronts, and I think uh, we're trying to find the best way to get that message out so that it resonates with the public. Baja, New Orleans, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, hello, how are you doing? Good. Um, I was thinking about the new regulations that the, uh, that the Treasury Department just set up that they no longer um, are going to allow associations such as, or demand of associations such as the NRA that they list where their contributions come from. And the Koch Brothers and, con uh, groups, too. Was, yeah, so wouldn't that destroy what Mueller found out about the NRA and their donations? Yeah, I mean, this goes, if I can take it a little broader, is, is just a disclosure period. And that's one of the problems we had with, with Citizens United and why there's groups like Citizens United and many others that are fighting on this issue is, you know, if, if we lose the, the transparency, at least, uh, of where the money comes in, uh, it's going to make it harder and harder. These groups have fake front names. If you don't know who puts the money in, you can't look at why they put the money in. And this is another threat to our democracy. So I think one of the key things when Democrats get in um, Clearly, transparency when it comes to elections and the funding is going to be really at the forefront. Kerry in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. Hi, Congressman. Um, my question is, uh, I know that uh, I think it was Senator Mayhew tweeted the other day about subpoenaing, subpoenaing um, the interpreter. And I'm just curious what you think the possibility of that actually happening is, um, because I know it's hard to get anything like that done. So I'm just curious what you think. It, what's the mechanism for that? Would it actually happen? Thanks. Yeah, you know, I can't speak to the mechanism. I apologize, Terry. But I can say, you know, this, I think, is a really interesting common-sense idea because the fact that the president misspoke by 180 degrees, and now today it was announced that uh, Putin said he's going to move ahead with the security agreement he had with Donald Trump that we don't know anything about because there's nothing talked about a security agreement. We need to know um, more of what happened in that meeting, and uh, I think it's Senator Sheehan put that out. I'm, I, I think it's a great idea how the mechanics would work. I don't know, but I think uh, this is something that passes the smell test for the public. Uh, they would like to know, and I, I hope Democrats in the Senate will fight for that. I wonder if Putin even got Trump to sign something. I mean, <laughs> it's like it wouldn't put a past. I, yeah, it's exactly. just amazing. Congressman, we have uh, uh, about 30 seconds before we're going to hit a break here. I mean, what, what should we, or at the end of the hour, actually, uh, what should we be looking toward in the week coming up? You know, I'll say it's, it's important to me, but I think it's important to the country, this disgraceful practice of separating children and families at the border. We still have 3,000 children not reunited. They're supposed to be reunited by July 26th next week. Uh, I don't think we're going to hit that deadline. Republicans in Congress aren't going to stand up to the president. They're complicit. 
we need to speak out. This is truly un-American, inhumane, cruel, and uh, the more we put pressure uh, on the elected representatives to do something, the better off we'll be. Yeah, amen. Congressman Mark Pocan, uh, his website is pocan.house.gov, and you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, thank you so much for being with us today. And thanks, Tom, as always. It's, it's, it is such a, an honor and a pleasure to host you on this program. I'm so grateful that you do it. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back. We've got uh, uh, Dar Jamal is going to be on. We're going to be talking about some of uh, his investigations into global warming and what's going on. And uh, I'll continue picking up your calls. We've got more of the news of the day. So just stick around. It's going to be a great day. You're listening to Tom Hartman. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. The uh, most recent article, well, actually, I'm not sure if it's his most recent, but uh, one, one of his more recent articles, Dar Jamail, uh, writing over at truthout.org. It's titled, Global Temperature Projections Could Double as the World Burns. Uh, Dar Jamail is the independent journalist, author, staff reporter with Truthout. Truthout.org is the website. You can tweet him at Dar, D-A-H-R, Jamail, J-A-M-A-I-L, Dar Jamail. Dar, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tom. Good to be with you. It's always great having you on the program. You have uh, really been keeping up with what's going on in the world of climate change, its consequences, its uh, rates of change, how things are happening, where things are happening. Uh, and I'd like to dig into that a little bit with you, if that's all right. Uh, can, can we start first with the, uh, with the question of, of tipping points and, and uh, increasing velocity of change? There, there are, uh, you know, in, in, in biological systems like you know, for example, if a body gets infected with, uh, with a, you know, a, a, a flu virus and it starts up, there's a few viruses and then there's a few hundred thousand and then there's a few million and then there's, and, and eventually it gets to billions of viruses and it starts to overwhelm the immune system and the person gets sick and sometimes it even kills them. Um, but, it, but that rapid amplification that, you know, is, is, is part of this kind of the mathematics of, of, of biological and, and non-biological weather systems and things like that. How is that? being played out right now with regard to climate change? I think as almost as usual, we can look up to the Arctic to see some of the more dramatic examples of that in the most recent months, where, for example, there was a, a cyclone up there that occurred in June that was one of the largest ever to hit in the Arctic and also coming unusually early. And this comes on the heels of a spring where in the Barents Sea alone, uh, that giant area uh, this past spring lost 30% of its ice in just an eight-day period. So we're seeing these kind of uh, very dramatic amplifications happening up in the Arctic. And then another recent report that I uh, included in the dispatch that we published on Monday showed, uh, again, affirming that what happens in the Arctic does not stay in the Arctic. So as the overall sea ice volume up there and extent of it continues to decrease dramatically uh, most every year now, uh, that's actually causing weather pattern shifts all the way down into the tropics by changing ocean currents and altering wind patterns, which then, of course, alters rainfall. Uh, to where, you know, you look at the IPCC projections for Central America, for example, uh, by 2100, and there's just going to be chronic year-in, year-out drought there. And the same can be said across uh, the northern sub-Saharan Africa, as well as Spain and areas like this. So these are just a couple of examples. Are there parts of North America that are, that are being affected? Without a doubt. Right now, half of the United States are in extreme drought, 
And as a result of that, in California, in the San Joaquin Valley, uh, another study just came out and showed that parts of the San Joaquin Valley have already sunk 30 feet just since the 1920s because of so much groundwater is being pumped out of the aquifer, which essentially works as their savings account of water. Normally, if there's enough rain and snowpack, it's sufficient for uh, agricultural irrigation, but there's so little of that now since NASA announced a few years ago California is most likely entering a period of mega drought, meaning a multi-decadal drought. And, in fact, what's so alarming about the amount of groundwater they're doing to make up for it, the groundwater pumping they're doing to make up for the lack of natural water uh, from, from normal weather patterns, that actually the, the, there's also parts of the San Joaquin Valley that have shrunk, uh, that have dropped literally physically three feet just over the last two years alone. I believe that California, and I'm guessing you probably know these statistics better than me, that, that uh, when you're looking at food eaten by humans, as opposed to, you know, grains that are fed to animals or, or, or are exported, uh, you know, like soybeans, which could either be used as livestock feed or to make into tofu, um, that, you know, that stuff is grown in the Midwest, but that the vegetables and fruits that we actually eat, that, that humans actually eat, the vast majority of my recollection is it's over 90% of the at least domestically produced fruit and vegetables are coming from California. Um, if we lose those food-producing areas because they just run out of water, what happens? Well, exactly what happens, and I think that's where people get to use their imaginations, and uh, we start seeing some extremely dramatic things. But, but the first and most obvious is food prices will go through the absolute roof. And if we look at, uh, for example, you know, this is a political nightmare for those in power because, you know, one could argue that the Arab Spring started at least predominantly uh, one of the key factors being uh, climate disruption generated droughts, which escalated food prices. And the average person over there in these countries that erupted just couldn't afford to eat anymore. And that's what set it off. And yeah, the price of bread and doubled in Egypt and Tunisia, didn't it, just before the, 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 the Arab Spring began? Precisely, precisely. And, and, you know, on top of that, you know, you mentioned the Midwest. There's also two other studies that were recently published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that showed uh, – one of them showed that there's a dramatically increased risk of simultaneous crop failures uh, once we see an increase of 4 degrees C, which is actually what we're currently on track to hit by 2100 if uh, a current trajectory is maintained, which it, it probably will unless it actually increases. So uh, a risk of increasing uh, – increasing risk of simultaneous crop failures coupled with a Another study that said uh, that we're, we're looking at uh, uh, the, the, the likelihood, if we hit 4C, of, of simultaneous crop failures in the main corn exporting countries of the planet, the U.S., China, Brazil, and Argentina, 86% uh, chance of, of crop failure in all of those uh, once we hit 4C. So, again, we're looking at a growing food and water crisis as, as climate change progresses. It's going to impact the entire globe. The, the most extreme uh bad bad situation scenarios uh, that I'm familiar with are uh, the you know a massive melt of Greenland's uh, water uh, ice you know in the into the into the North Atlantic uh, shutting down the great conveyor belt which brings all that heat to Europe and and he Europe most of Europe uh, central and northern Europe is at latitudes uh, equivalent to Alaska you know uh, and and in parts of Canada where food simply doesn't grow so you'd have massive famine in Europe if that were to happen um, or even you know, more extreme is that if the Arctic sea ice continues to go and the permafrost in that region goes, that there are, we had Charles Miller from NASA on this program a couple of years ago, and, and he said there is more carbon locked up, much of it in the form of methane, um, but also as carbon dioxide and other carbon compounds, 
there's more carbon locked up in the atmosphere that in the excuse me in the in the uh, northern uh, I think you know above 30 degrees or above 60 degrees north or whatever it is um, than than we have burned since the beginning of the industrial revolution uh, that could be mobilized that could be that was his word mobilized which you know released into the atmosphere if that happens you could see uh, you know a, a doubling of the consequences of climate change which could lead to massive worldwide extinctions um, in those two disaster scenarios where where do we stand right now and and do you do you want to add any to that or push back on what I just said. Uh, I, those are my concerns, too, and I uh, certainly I, I devoted an entire chapter in my forthcoming book to uh, methane up in the Arctic simply because of that and, 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 and uh, cite often that Charles Miller study that you referenced. And those are two very, very real scenarios, and they're both very, very concerning to me because both of the factors leading up to those eventualities are unfolding and increasing on a regular basis. So the Atlantic Mariel ocean circulation current that you reference in regards to the melting of the Greenland ice sheet, there's been recent studies come out that show that that is actually now slowing down hundreds of years ahead of schedule than uh, studies that reference the same thing that came out just a couple of years ago. That's how fast this is speeding up. And then up in the Arctic, we look at the Barents. Literally right now, this month, there's people tracking the heating of the Barents Sea up in the Arctic, underneath which we're already seeing major methane releases starting to happen, methane plumes starting to come up. So uh, I think we're at great risk of what Natalia Shikova, another methane researcher, uh, formerly with University of Alaska Fairbanks, has warned of a methane burp, literally a 50-gigaton release of methane all at once if one of these whole shelves goes all at once, that she says is a very distinct possibility and could already happen at any moment. And that could bring much of life on Earth to an end? It would add so much. It would literally do what you just warned, but in a matter of minutes. It would, it would release an amount of carbon CO2 equivalent into the atmosphere that would speed things up so dramatically that... Uh, you know, there's at that point, it's survival mode. There, there's no mitigating it. There's no stopping it. So, yeah, that that literally is would, would alter life on the entire planet in a matter of minutes. And that's a very real possibility. And that's in a peer-reviewed, scientifically published study and has been for years now. Dar, when should, wh tell me about your book. I didn't know you were writing a book on climate change. When When's it coming out and what's the title or do you, are you not here, yet there? Uh, it's called The End of Ice, and it's going to be published with a new press uh, this coming December, on December 19th. So, yeah, it's, it's a book that really dives into a lot of these things that we've talked about, as well as uh, then really how to uh, kind of compose ourselves uh, as humans. So the, the title is The End of Ice. The subtitle is Bearing Witness and Finding Meaning in the Path of Climate Disruption. That's great. And uh, be, be sure to remind us when it comes out. I want to get you on to, to promote it. and. and uh... You know, if a blurb for me helps at all, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do. This, this is the issue. Uh, obviously, there's a bunch of them, but this is the issue of our day. We're talking about the survival of life on Earth. Dar Jamail, independent journalist, author, staff reporter at truthat.org. You can tweet him at Dar, D-A-H-R, Jamail, J-A-M-A-I-L, uh, at Dar Jamail. Thank you, Dar. Thank you, Tom. Great talking with you. We'll be right back. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high tech. And yes, I'll say it. It is sexy. This chair is extraordinary and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and, you're, and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. 
The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. There's a lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com right now. Use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. xchairtom.com. Now back to the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So let me welcome back, by the way. Uh, this is uh, your media support group for We the People, and let's have this conversation. I find this absolutely fascinating stuff. And uh, uh, my three scenarios, and if you want to add to them, and Arthur, I'd like you to uh, also make sure that all of our callers are on, these top, on this topic of this hour. Um, why is Donald Trump behaving the way he is relative to Russia and relative to other autocratic regimes around the world? Why? Roger Cohen wrote a piece in this morning's New York Times. It's titled, Trump's Road to American Martial Law. And he's suggesting my 15% scenario as, the, as, as a possibility, which is that Donald Trump looks at the way that Erdogan is running Turkey, or looks at the way that Vladimir Putin is running Russia, or looks at the way that uh, President Xi is running China, or looks at the way that uh, Duterte is running the Philippines, and says to himself, or the, the Prince uh, Salman in uh, Saudi Arabia, or the, uh, the autocrats in, uh, in you know, the rest of the, of the Middle East, he looks at these people and he says, you know, that's the way a government should be run. It shouldn't be run with a whole bunch of people running around having different opinions and having big arguments and fighting with each other of what's right and what's wrong and you know separation of power and checks and balances and all that stuff is silly. You can't get anything done in the world that way. You want to get things done if you want to be efficient, if you want to grow as rapidly as China has, if you want to lock down uh, and not have dissent like Saudi Arabia doesn't, if you want to if you want to get you know some control over over your people and and keep them in line, you know like uh, like uh, Erdogan has done in Turkey. He's put more than thirty five thousand people in prison. Erdogan in Turkey has. And many of them simply journalists or dissidents. That Donald Trump thinks that if you want to do that, that you know you basically have to run the country the way these guys are running their countries. In fact, this would be even you know what what uh, Erdogan has done is arguably even more than what Putin has done. I mean, Vladimir Putin has not declared martial law in in Russia, uh, the, but you know some of these other countries that's absolutely happening. And in some of them, there's not even a mechanism for elections. Saudi Arabia, for example. So so Trump is even looking to far more extreme examples than Putin. And so here we get to uh, Roger Cohen's column in today's New York Times, and he's quoting uh, Norm Ornstein, who's a, you know, a, a, a solid guy and a, 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 good, uh, a good analyst, shall we say, 
of governments and how government works and you know what's happening in the United States. And, he's, and he ends his article where after, first of all, he kind of, it's like a, a bill, of, bill of impeachment almost, a list of all the things that Trump has done. And, and, he keeps, and he keeps saying, yet he's not finished, yet he's not done. He still, he still has, the president is not done. And then he said, soon there may be indictments from Robert Mueller, the special counsel, of high officials against high officials or members of Trump's family. What then? Orenstein's nightmare scenario is this. Trump fires Mueller. Trump pardons himself and everyone else, and I would add, you know, all the members of the Trump crime family and, and uh, Paul uh, uh, Manafort and the whole bit. Pardons himself and everyone else. And then Trump signals to his followers, to his base, to go into the streets. And keep in mind, these people are proudly armed. And after the inevitable bloodshed, I'm reading from one of the lead op-eds in today's New York Times. I'll just, I'll just let me read it straight up because I've been doing commentary on this, uh, you know, as I've been reading it. So let me just read straight up what Roger Cohen wrote. Soon there may be indictments from Robert Mueller, the special counsel of high officials of members or members of Trump's family. What then? Ornstein's nightmare scenario, Trump fires Mueller, pardons himself and everyone else, sends his followers into the street, and after the inevitable bloodshed, declares martial law. Now, if he declares martial law, I believe under the laws passed after 9-11 that he has the ability to even suspend Congress. Now, I may be wrong on that. I need to fact check it. I need, to, I need to find out exactly what the powers of the president become if he declares martial law, what the mechanism is for him to declare martial law. Uh, we all have some learning to do on this, and it needs to become part of our conversation. But that's, that's what Roger Cohen is laying out in today's New York Times, right up on the front page. Secondly, you've got you know, the, the uh, so-called coalition, and this is from the New York Times, a piece by Catherine Stewart. The title is, What Was Maria Putina? She is the 29-year-old Russian agent who is now in jail in the United States. Uh, the latest uh, that she's been accused of is offering sex to somebody to infiltrate or to insinuate herself into a special interest group it's referred to as. So it's probably one of these right-wing think tanks. And this is all going into the Republican Party, which has been so you know, close to these guys. And the, the, she was at the National Prayer Breakfast. And Jeff Charlotte, and is Jeff going to be on the program tomorrow? Or, yeah, we're going to have Jeff on the program tomorrow. So we'll get into this in some more detail with him. But uh, he said, you know, the family is the group that puts on the National Prayer Breakfast. And uh, he said it's not just the breakfast. The family organizes a week of de facto lobbying events. Maria Bottini used them to maximize impact. She, he writes that there is a bond, this is, or Catherine Stewart writes in the New York Times today, the bond between Americans' Christian nationalists and the Russian government goes back a long way. And then here's where it gets real interesting. Paul Weyrich, our old friend Paul Weyrich, right? You will recall Paul Weyrich is the guy who, in 1980, was helping run the Reagan campaign after he had helped set up the Heritage Foundation. And he was reaching out to fundamentalist Christians to get them active in voter suppression against Democrats. You'll recall, in the 60s, the way that William Rehnquist, who ended up the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, the way he made his chops in Republican Party politics in Phoenix, Arizona, in the 60s, was he was a big, tall bear of a man. He was about 6'2", 6'3", and you know, weighed, a, weighed a lot. I mean, he was just a, built like a football player. And, and William Rehnquist, who was also a lawyer, obviously, would stand outside these polling places in Native American communities and Hispanic communities and challenge voters and intimidate them into getting out of line, getting out of the line to vote. So this is the genesis of this. And here I'm going to play Paul Weyrich's audio out of my computer here. 
And this is what Paul Weyrich had to say to a group of Christians. And then I'll read to you what, what the New York Times is reporting today about Paul Weyrich and the involvement of the Republican Party with the Russians. Here it is. Now many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome, good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. Our leverage in the elections goes up as the voting populace goes down. And now you've got Chris Kobach and Mike Pence and Donald Trump all tied up into this thing. So to the New York Times today, again, this piece by uh, Catherine Stewart. Uh, what, what was Maria Butina doing at the National Prayer Breakfast? Uh, Catherine writes, Paul Weyrich belongs on any shortlist of the individuals who created the religious right as we know it today. He was a central figure in the founding of numerous conservative organizations, including the Heritage Foundation, ALEC, the Moral Majority, and the Council for National Policy. He was one of the first strategies in, uh, strategists in the 1970s who first conceived of outreach to evangelical churches in order to recruit activists to socially conservative causes. He was also among the first to grasp the potential for an alliance with, with religious conservatives in Russia and Eastern Europe. After the fall of the Soviet Union, Mr. Weyrich made dozens of trips to Russia, eventually becoming a strong supporter of closer relations. By the time of his death in 2008, Mr. Weyrich was writing and speaking frequently in defense of Russia and facilitating visits between American conservatives and Russian political leaders. This is the guy who said this. Leverage in the elections, as a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. Then they quote Brian Fisher. Brian Fisher used to come on this program and debate me. It's been a couple of years since, since he's been willing to come on, but you know, because I would regularly just kind of kick his butt. But Brian Fisher used to come on this program. He called uh, Vladimir Putin, quote, a lion of Christianity. Franklin Graham, who won't come on this program, uh, defended Putin, uh, quoting from the New York Times, defended Putin for his efforts to, quote, protect his nation's children from the damaging effects of any gay and lesbian agenda. During the 2016 presidential campaign, Mike Pence hailed Mr. Putin as, quote, this is, we're quoting Mike Pence here, a stronger leader in his country than Barack Obama has been in this country. And, of course, more than 50 Russians attended the the most recent national prayer breakfast. Now, I think that's, you know, Russia's a fairly conservative country. Uh, the Putin government is, is a, a very conservative government by social and business norms. And so it shouldn't be surprising that this alliance is happening, but it's worth noting. And then finally, you know, my 75% uh, scenario, which was that Trump is out of money and he desperately needs the money of Russian billionaires, that that's why he's behaving the way he is. This was fascinating. It's in today's Washington Post. The headline is just not wise. In past year, Trump's company repeatedly paid property taxes late. Is Trump running out of money? President Trump's company missed deadlines to pay property tax bills in five states over the past year, according to government reports and local officials. The spate of missed deadlines was out of character for the Trump organization, which receives hundreds of property tax bills every year. Previously, records show it had a good record of paying them on time. But now they're not. So why is it that Donald Trump can no longer or is no longer paying his property taxes on time? Is it that his sons that he turned the company over to are just lousy businessmen and they don't know how to run it? Now, this should be on autopilot, basically. You know, you get the tax statement, it gets paid. It shouldn't even rise to the level of the CEO. Or is it that he's running out of cash? Maybe even the Russian oligarchs are backing away from him. Could this provoke a crisis where he declares a national emergency?
Well, welcome back. And uh, your thoughts on what's going on here. Dave in Buffalo, New York. Hey, Dave, your thoughts? Hey, Tom. Thank you, sir. Uh, John Schindler, and he can be found at 20 Committee, at 20 Committee. He was, John Schindler was a NSA agent that worked for a Signet department uh, who, uh, within the NSA who did auditing. He tracked Trump from the late 80s through the housing crash of the early 90s. And he said that, personally, he was in debt over a billion dollars. That isn't his business. That was him personally. And that he said by the late 90s, he was flush with over a billion dollars cash personally again. And he doesn't know how uh, that happened because uh, he wasn't able to look at his taxes. Uh, but he said that the investigation of his corruption needs to start there. Yep. In the late 90s, when the early, early 90s, when he became flush, uh, and by the late 90s, when he became flush with uh, cash. And then he also said that there is a tape, and the PP tape does not exist, he said. He said he knows the tape, and that he said it's way worse. He said very few humans, he said a PP tape, uh, people, uh, even evangelicals, could maybe stomach it. Uh, but he said the tape that actually is out there is way worse. It would be disgusting to just about every human being alive, and that it would be very difficult for any of us to accept it. Yeah, the and one, the one possibility that occurs to me since, since Trump has been tied up with uh, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, who was having parties with underage girls in the BBC, I played this report on the air last week, uh, the BBC reporting that Donald Trump uh, either put on or was at parties where uh, young women under 17, one was 14 years old, uh, were literally brought to these parties to have sex with older, very, very wealthy American men in New York City. And so if he was getting it on with a hooker in, the, in Russia, and the hooker turned out to be 13 or 14 years old, that could be a disaster for him. I get that. Dave, thanks for the call. There's you know, so many possibilities, so little time. Brandon in Seattle. Hey, Brandon, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's on, what do you think? Yeah, so I, I totally agree that Russia had a stake in the election, and they, they preferred uh, Trump to win over Hillary. But what I'm struggling to figure out is if they would have just preferred any Republican over Hillary, because the hacking is really what the question is here in the DNC and the servers, and then releasing information that they found. That could have helped potentially any Republican. So I'm struggling to find why they would hack, not even knowing if Trump would have been the nominee yet. Yeah. Well, and I think the 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 answer going back to Occam's razor. You know, the, typically the the best example is the easiest example uh, or explanation rather um, is that uh, Trump stood on the world stage. You know, during that debate and looked right into the camera and said, Russia, if you can get access to Hillary Clinton's emails, bring it on. We'll love you. The world will love you. And what, six, seven hours later, it, the, the process, according to Robert Mueller's indictment, the process actually began, you know, coming out of Russia. So I think it was, you know, they, they, they were called out by a national American politician, a ma major candidate saying, hey, would you help? And, you know, somebody there said, yeah, sure. Uh, so anyway, uh, Helen in Sun City, Arizona. Helen, your thoughts? Hello. Hey, Helen, you're on the air. Good. I wanted to mention something that I saw on TV about three weeks ago. I've been trying to get in. The guy that they, that Trump has put up for the Supreme Court, I watched him on TV explain why no sitting president should have to deal with legal issues while in office. Right. That's why Trump picked him. I, Brett Kavanaugh, I, 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 was, I was predicting for a full week before this happened. You can go back and look at the shows. And thank you, Helen, for pointing that out. I was predicting Brett Kavanaugh would be his pick because Brett Kavanaugh was publicly on the record as saying that he thought that a special counsel like Robert Mueller uh, was unconstitutional, should not exist, and, and uh, they should be able to dump him. Kevin in Tracy, California. Kevin, what's on your mind? Um, hi, Tom. I want to talk regarding 
Trump and the martial law and everything. Um, I think that there's going to be an alliance between U.S. and Russia and Philippines and Turkey and Hungary and Poland, and I think that that's going to be the beginning of World War III. Um, what are your thoughts about an alliance like that? I'm, uh, I think that if we allied ourselves with the more right-wing regimes around the world, and I would throw China into that loop and probably Singapore as well, and Malaysia and Indonesia, and uh, some of the countries across the, the Horn of Africa, you know, particularly Egypt, um, that that would probably reduce the probability of a world war. I don't think the Europeans are interested in a world war, um, and that would be basically the only, uh, the Europeans and the Canadians would be the only small-D democratic forces left. I mean, you've got some major countries to the south of us that are democracies, you know, Mexico, Brazil in particular, but Brazil is just, you know, crashing and burning internally politically, and, uh, you know, Mexico is going, is going to be going through a big transformation. But uh, I think that rather than leading to war, it would simply lead to the end ultimately of democracy or the splitting of the world into basically democratic states and undemocratic states, which has been the case for a long, long time. It's just that a lot of these states that had been democratic over the last, you know, through much of my lifetime uh, would become undemocratic. Boy, a lot to digest, a lot to think about. We'll continue the conversation tomorrow. It's gonna to be a fascinating day tomorrow too. And in the meantime, don't forget, this, you know, this whole thing, politics, American democracy, it's not a spectator sport. We need you and all your friends. Tell everybody about our media. Tell everybody to get it registered. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.